Welcome, everybody, to Working for the Word. I'm Andrew, and this is a podcast where we try to look at the complex, ever-changing landscape of Bible translation, which is also exciting because we get to talk to people like our guest today who have experience in fields that you may have never heard of before and doing some really cool stuff, innovative stuff and very wide-reaching, helpful stuff. Uh, He was actually one of my professors for a time at a workshop on oral translation or oral drafting. So his name is Brian Kelly. Welcome, Brian. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and he is also a Portuguese speaker. You've you've worked in Brazil, right? We lived in Brazil for a year, and I worked with teams doing oral storing in both Brazil and Angola. Awesome. And he's also had experience as a story crafting consultant, uh, the chair of one story executive team he served on. And he's got degrees from Biola University, Dallas Theological Seminary, and Gordon Conwell Seminary, where he did his D-Min in Bible translation. And currently he's the International Oral Translation Services Coordinator for SIL. So thanks so much for being with us, and we'd love to hear more about yourself. So please tell us something about your journey into Bible translation and what got you interested in orality. Yeah, my journey into Bible translation, I want to tell this story because I just want to brag on God because it's, it's awesome. his. I, I'm here because of him. I originally wanted to be a Navy pilot. All through high school, that's what I wanted to do. But in high school, my eyes, I started needing needing glasses. Navy doesn't need blind pilots. Uh, So I I let go of that dream. And then while in college, heard about missionary aviation and how Mm -hmm. Wycliffe and others, MAF, were using pilots, essentially bush pilots. Uh, And so we lived, we lived near Huntington Beach where Wycliffe had its headquarters. And my dad and I went and visited Wycliffe's headquarters and just walked in and said, are there any pilots that we could talk to? And they introduced me to Bernie May, who mm-hmm. had been the president of Wycliffe at one point. He was starting something new. At, so then he and I formed a friendship and we kept in touch, you know, here and there for years. He even came up, flew up one time and, and visited and told stories to a youth group I was leading for a church at that point. We had been exploring missions, but we'd also been just work. My wife was getting her teaching credential. I was working up in Northern California for a county in public health. And we kind of came to this point where we was like, okay, you know, what does God really want from us? It, it, we've both had a heart for missions, but we've not had a specific calling to it. Yeah. And so we said, let's just pray. Let's just put this before the Lord and say, if you want us in this, call us to this. Hmm. And so we, we just started praying. And we had been praying for a number of months when out of the blue, Bernie May calls us literally on the phone and hmm. says, God's been putting you guys on my heart lately. Would you consider working with me over at the sea company? Hmm. And so that started the process of, we had already explored some working with Wycliffe, but that, yeah. that's what called us into being missionaries with Wycliffe. And so our first assignment, our first job with Wycliffe was to work at the C company. And we moved to Southern California and we were with C company for four years. And during that time, I started a master's degree and did a master's degree at Biola. And one of the courses I took was by Tom Steffen, Dr. Steffen. And he was with New Tribes, had been with New Tribes and they had started, you know, chronological Bible teaching way back when. Right. 
And that was then grew into a chronological Bible story. And so he shared about oral approaches. And I'm in this class going, gosh, you know, we work with so many minority language communities who we want to introduce literacy. We want to, to mm -hmm. help them grow into being able to read and write in, own, in their own language and in um, national language. But we could communicate much quicker if we could provide scripture and audio or stories uh, from the Bible and, uh, you know, as told stories. Yeah. And so I was already thinking this. And at that time, C Company, along with several other organizations, Wycliffe, YWAM, IMB, and mm -hmm. Campus Crusade, were all exploring forming a partnership to reach unreached people groups by developing an oral set of stories, sending out teams to develop an oral set of stories in those languages, and they use that for evangelism and discipleship and church planting. Cool. And so what became the One Story Partnership? And so I'm taking this class and I hear of this being started. And so I go to my wife and I say, hey, I think this is something that we should look into. And with some prayer and uh, conversation, uh, mm. we, from there we went and did a One Story Project in the, in the Caribbean of all places. Great. I think a lot of people don't realize that two thirds of the world's cultures are oral cultures. I think that's the last statistic I, I looked at. So I was wondering if you could, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit, if you were talking to or explaining to somebody who maybe this is really new, this whole idea of oral translation or oral storying, what is the need out there and what are some of the motivations? Yeah. Within the missions community, there was a strong realization and sense of urgency that came around on the first part of, you know, 2000, 2000s, mm -hmm. uh, recognizing that, as you said, about 70% of the world is primarily oral. The way they really naturally get new information and convey information to others would, would be orally. They might be literate, partially literate, but that's not how they would normally want to engage with with each other or what we're dealing with, with a sacred text. Mm -hmm. And so the majority of situations, significant majority of situations where you have groups of people that are unreached, where you really have no, you have a zero or, or very small presence of the church. And you have a small presence of people trying to reach this group of people to share the gospel and, and plant the church. Mm -hmm. um, these unreached groups, uh, significant majority are primarily oral. And so if we bring such a literate mindset with us coming from North America or from Europe, and so there's this realization saying, if we're gonna really effectively reach these communities, we need to shift how we do business so that yeah. we put their needs, and their way of doing things first as, mm -hmm. as a priority. And so from that came, not only does it do it orally, so that they can naturally, they just need to listen and hear and talk and share. They don't yeah. need to learn to read and write. Yeah. But also what was seen was that we can do it through story, that these are communities that have, have their own traditions that they have told for generations. Uh, they tell their own stories. There's an art to it. And so this would be a way that, and the Bible is 70% narrative. Uh, yeah. there's, there's lots of good stories in the Bible. Yeah, And so we can tell those stories to them and present the gospel in this way, in a way that would naturally resonate and connect with them and be something that they could engage with right away. Right. And so 
from that has come a whole movement now where we haven't abandoned in any way doing written Bible translation or, or producing anything in a written form. It's now, it's a both and. Right. We're trying to present the gospel in as many ways. And we've also seen a, you know, an expansion of that into audiovisual, things mm-hmm. like the Jesus film. So mm-hmm. we're trying to present as much as we can about who Jesus is and what he has done as many ways as possible so people can naturally gravitate, understand it, and resonate with it. Awesome. Yeah, and as I was mentioning earlier, Brian was my professor for an oral drafting workshop in Dallas at Dallas International University. And so I'd love for you to give people like an overview of what are some of the things that you train people to do in these kind of workshops? Yeah. So Bible translation, even before the Latin Vulgate, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's become a, a very sort of systematized process of where you want to, to draft a section of scripture and then check that with people who have not interacted with that section of scripture before and just see how well they're understanding it and if it's, it's connecting with them. Mm-hmm. And then also you want to ensure that it's accurate. And so you, you work with people we usually call consultants who have a lot of biblical background and can interact with the Greek and the Hebrew directly. And then the, the church body, this is collectively working together, can affirm that the, this translation has, that we have produced is clear, accurate, and natural. Uh, so we have, for, for all approaches, looked to do basically the same thing, but the significant shift has been to say, we want to include as many members of the community in this as possible. And not that it's been exclusive in the past, but literacy has been just a simple natural barrier in a sense. We've really tried to more and more shift so that it's the community owning the work. And so as much of it is that they can own as they can as possible is the ideal. And so including oral approaches, allowing people who just speak their language to be involved in the process help facilitates that. Yeah. And so it also requires a shift again. I mentioned a shift earlier, you know, in terms of we want to prioritize them first. The way we then teach it and present it to them also has shifted. We're used to using in a classroom with a blackboard or a dry erase board or PowerPoints or whatever, more of an abstract academic presentation. And so for all approaches, we have tried to make it much more participatory and much more a concrete relational activity that both people from the U.S., North America, Europe, wherever, can participate and do themselves, but they can then turn around and model and do with others, just training directly the people from their own country Mm -hmm. uh, do themselves. And so one of the big things that we start with is that we, we try and deal with a whole section of scripture at a time. Again, this, this comes out of oral storing. And so a, many of the stories in the Bible have a natural starting point and a natural ending point. Mm-hmm. That, that would be a unit of scripture that we'd want to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we do something we, we call internalization, where we spend time listening to that story, discussing that story, things that maybe surprised us, things that we liked about it, things that we saw happening with people, with God in it. And what I like to say is to get as intimately familiar as possible with that story. Mm. Even aspects of what the author, the original author was hoping to, to convey, to impart in telling that story to their original audience. You know, yeah. the, 
whether it's Samuel when he the prophet writing it or uh, you know after that yeah and that then is in the mind of these translators they can picture what's happening in their mind's eye mm-hmm. and and they have usually experienced gone through this experience in a national language because again the bible's not in their language yet so they've done this in a national language they can picture in their mind's eye and then they tell that section of scripture in their own language yeah. from memory and we do activities like dramatizing it acting it out we might do like a storyboard like you would have for either a cartoon or a movie but where people draw the pictures themselves mm-hmm. um, a variety of activities like that again concrete things that they're doing themselves acting it out if you have to act out a section of scripture you have to really know how is that person thinking or feeling when they're replying to you know something the other person has said you, yeah. you really do become intimately familiar with we want to call them characters in the story but these were again real people and and we're just telling their story again you want to become as intimately familiar with with all that was going on there cuz that will all naturally come out yeah how you tell yeah it forces um, you to think of aspects you never would have thought of, of before just looking at a page and and sometimes oftentimes not explicitly stated in the text exactly but but definitely there mm-hmm. and so but we want to ensure accuracy as well so we record right. what they say and then we do the same checking process as as we would do with any any normal translation. Uh, we take it to the community, see how they're understanding it. We take it to a consultant, uh, ensure that it's it's biblically accurate, faithful to to what was originally said. It might not look exactly the same. Some of the order might be changed a little because we're we're not trying to import the Greek the original structure of the Greek or the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. We want it to be as natural as possible in their language. How they would. We want it to taste and feel and see yep. like it would any other natural, normal story that they would tell, but still faithful and accurate to the biblical text. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I loved about your course was this hands-on approach that we as the students got to feel like we were in the driver's seat. We got to feel like we were in the translator's shoes of the translators that we may be going overseas to train or or help in some way and experience all of those different aspects that are really hard to communicate if you just if you don't experience them firsthand feeling the challenge of be, having to internalize something to that level become so intimate with it and then be able to perform it in a way that's not only accurate but also compelling to the hearer it's right. not easy yeah no we we want every member of the team to be as much as possible on equal footing and understand what other members of the team are wrestling with as they're, you know, trying to do this themselves. And so in the training, we've also, we want you to experience that, like you said, firsthand. We've also observed over the years that what I model as the initial trainer, what you see me do is what you're more likely to do when you go to the minority language community that you're looking to work with. Yeah. And so if I say one thing but do something different, there's this disconnect. But if I if we want word and deed to match. Absolutely. And and so we're trying to equip you right from the very beginning with the very things that you would then just turn around and do repeat and do in the community that you go to. Yeah. And and, and then you can relate to and they can relate to you better and you can relate to what they're dealing with better. Yeah. Yeah, and your course actually inspired me to turn around and record my own audiobook because I wanted to take some of those principles and experience, okay, what would it be like to have to perform a whole 
body of literature, you know, at, at, at that length, uh, like the Bible, even though it wasn't quite that long. But the, the kind of work involved to make it compelling and to all of these little elements, you know, that go into it. So I, I learned a lot through that experience. No, I, it's been, from my side, it's been neat to see in you what has come out of that, you know, just our, our little time together. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad it's been so fruitful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, just to clarify for the people listening, you're, you're trying to train people to be able to work in areas where people are the, translating, but they're totally illiterate, maybe. In contexts where you have people who want to help with translation, they have the gifting, but they're actually not literate. So how do you help people internalize the text of Scripture without even being able to read it, right? And that's yeah. another that's another challenge in, in in and of itself. And that's what we did in the workshop. We we emulated that, and so that was really neat too to to be in in that setting with that challenge in front of us to pretend we, we're illiterate and we've got to depend on someone else to give us the the text to internalize and then make it work. So that was really cool. The other thing I wanted to talk about is some of these. Uh, you know, the exciting developments that are going on or that you've seen in the past in the landscape of oral Bible translation. Uh, there's, you know, there's always more room to grow, obviously, and, and people are trying to be innovative. And I was wondering if you could just share even one thing or a few things on, along those lines. One of the most exciting parts of this has just been that I, uh, initially from what we have seen that this desire to bring out better community ownership, um, more people being able to be involved has, has been successful. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that, that has been very satisfying is that this has really opened it up to anyone from the community to be involved. And so, um, Christians, non-Christians, uh, you you bring a lot more of the strengths of the whole community to the translation, the translation project. Yeah. Um, a, another fascinating thing has been is that, and to me this is just a Holy Spirit thing, is that uh, more and more groups, churches, individuals, organizations, not the usual suspects. Are getting involved now, and and so you see the body Christendom more and more owning the work of Bible translation and and mm. and getting the word to every tribe and tongue and nation to the ends of the earth. And you know, I love Revelation seven nine, and God has already said that every tribe and tongue and nation will be there worshiping before His throne, and we're just on that pathway to what God has already said is going to be successful, but still to see it yeah. firsthand happening. Um, is yeah. uh, and so large organizations like YWAM saying, "Hey, we're we're going to start offering oral Bible translation training uh, at our YWAM basis, uh, or just a local oh, church, great. a local denomination saying we can do this, we can we can be a part of this, and still work closely with those who have traditionally been." involved and, and have the technical expertise in Bible translation, but uh, allow for capacity building to, to share this broadly. And then, you know, I think of your own work that you did. It really has allowed for greater, you know, just 
trying out new things, experimentation, innovation, uh, mm -hmm. and incorporating much more of the natural artistic, you know, storing is an art form, a good storyteller. Everyone, you, it just takes a minute or two and you recognize that someone's a good storyteller. Yeah. Um, or song or poetry or epic drama. Yeah. All sorts of ways. And so it's, it, in the Hebrew synagogue, people, most people were engaging with scripture by listening to someone read it. Uh, and we even see Jesus, you know, he goes up front and he reads from Isaiah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how most people were. No one, most people didn't have a scroll of, of the Bible in, in their home. And so it, it is an element of returning to our origins, but that God's word is, is just as much spoken as written. And, Absolutely. and the, the, the beauty of all the ways of you know, all the creativity that, that God has given humanity to express that. And, mm -hmm. and so the Psalms, the Proverbs, mm -hmm. um, you see more and more of that artisticness coming out as well. It's beyond anything that when I started all this, it's more than I ever anticipated. Yeah. Well, could you tell us, let's, let's say somebody who's listening is interested in exploring further this whole topic, this whole field of study, and where would be a good place for them to start? Uh, there's a great book by a gentleman, last name of Box, B-O-X, and he calls the, his book, Don't Throw the Book at Him. And, and he goes through, hmm. uh, you know, what's it like, you know, what is the neural community like? What are the things that you see? How is that the same? And how is that different from highly literate communities? Some would even say that here in the United States, we have a post-literate community. Um, right. And digital, right. digital has, like this podcast, just as a simple example, mm -hmm. has allowed so much more than we did even 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So Box's book is great, just the general big picture. Mm -hmm. um, in the US, in the UK, uh, a few other places, there are being offered by a variety of different mission agencies, one or two day or even like a one week sort of workshop where people can experience it themselves. Really? Um, yeah, IMB has offered stuff, SIL offers, um, just off the top of my head. There's also the International Orality Network, ION is usually how it's referred to, and um, that, that is a broad network of anyone in Christendom. You know, I'm just trying to pick the word that's biggest picture. It's not just the missions community, but right. where people could, ways of connecting with others who have been in, involved in oral approaches. Within the U.S., you have the network of biblical storytellers. If someone does a search and starts exploring, they can find any of those things that I've mentioned. Okay. I'll uh, try to link to the description. Yeah. That's, that's actually a book I have not read. I should, I should check that out. The one by Box. That sounds interesting. Yeah. No, it's, and I, I used it recently when I, I led a two week workshop with folks in YWAM over in Australia. And uh, we went through the first chapter. And the, the very first initial response was, so everyone had read it the night before, and then we were discussing it the next day. Mm. And one of them said, is this really true? Is this really correct? <laughs> like what we have said earlier, that really 70% most significant majority of people are primarily oral. And so if we're presenting something, he was having that aha moment of, if we're presenting something in a literate, traditional, academic fashion, like we do most of our training and most of our schooling, it's just going to fly right over their head. And so he's having that aha moment. He's going, is that really true? And I said, yes, it is. He goes, we got to change everything we're doing. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the next two weeks was this exploration just for themselves of, of wow, okay, how? And they went back and they're like, 
we can change how we do half of our schools. Uh, the, the, you know, YWAM will do a variety of different schools, a discipleship training school, school of biblical studies, uh, all these things. Not abandoning all the good things that are already there, adding to it new ways. And, and honestly, I think people learn better because you're engaging multiple modalities. You know, people have different learning styles. Mm-hmm. And so this is just naturally gravitating towards that as well. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you so much for making the time and being willing to be with us on this podcast. And yeah, we wish you all the best. Thank you for what you're doing for the global church and what you're doing in training and teaching. And yeah, really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. No, this has been great. I'm really glad we had this time. Yeah. So God bless you. And on behalf of all our listeners, thank you. And as always, to everyone who's listening, thank you for listening as well. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to share it with others and encourage and edify them in that way. If you would, please leave a review. And as we always say here at Working for the Word, we believe that the Bible is a unified, God-breathed, God-centered, hope-giving book, sweeter than honey and pointing to Jesus. And we hope this is helping you and all of us become more like the man of Psalm 1.